Files is brought to you by EXO Auto Works. EXO Auto Works is Colorado Springs' home of the $40 synthetic blend oil change. Call now, 719-375-3232, or visit exoautoworks.com to make your appointment. Enharmonic Studios. Enharmonic Studios is a hybrid digital analog facility designed to be quality and affordable to anyone who wants to make history. Call today, 719-963-2020, or go to facebook.com slash enharmonicstudios. Trevor's Beard is brought to you by The Beard Struggle. The Beard Struggle is my go-to for beard hygiene and styling products, so you should click the link below and use the code TLANE15, that's TLANE15, for 15% off your order. Madrid Maintenance. Madrid Maintenance offers excellent handyman services in the Colorado Springs area, starting at just $35 an hour. You can reach them by phone at 719-963-2020 or online at facebook.com slash madridmaintenance. The Tool Bar, our new line of handmade soap produced in partnership with Crafts by Carolyn Lane, available on Etsy. This soap packs a punch of manly scent, like oak and fig, fresh-cut lumber, cedar, and more masculine fragrances being developed all the time. With the soft touch of natural oils to cleanse and moisturize, use the link below to buy the tool bar now. Once you try it, you'll never want to wash with anything else. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, foot, foot. From EXO Auto Works. Streaming all over the world. It's your weekly dose of toxic masculinity. With Eric Madrid. Because if too many people are just running around with their dicks out, it's called the Harambe variant. And Trevor Lane. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> of Karen. <laughs> It's Thursday, it's Thursday, it's Thursday night. That means it's Man Tools Media coming at you live from EXO Auto Works. That's Trevor, I'm Eric. Not to get us confused with the other Trevor and Eric who are super <laughs> famous in Canada, apparently. Mega, mega stars, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey. Hey, guy. I'm not your guy. I'm not your friend, pal. Whatever that joke is, it's a great one. We don't want copyright infringement, so we'll just keep <laughs> moving it on, moving it on. It's been a hell of a week. Um, hopefully, everybody's out there, you know, podcasting, listening on your shitty drive home <laughs> or whatever you're doing this evening. Um, uh, there was somewhere I was going with this. Oh, yes, we have Harambe variant t shirts if you guys were We watching. do. Yeah, so. we sure do. Uh, those are available on our website. Check out mantoolsmedia.com for all of the stuffs and things and stuffs. That's right. And uh, things. We also have things, too. We also went to public school. <laughs> Gurgiated. <laughs> twice. <laughs> well, we went twice. That's, that would be the thing. So what's up, buddy? How's been your week? It's been all right, man. Um, other than... Uh, a little bout with some kind of stomach bug that went through the house. Well, now we're here in the shop, and you're just in a 
enclosed space with me, mm-hmm. super considerate. Yeah. Thanks. No, everybody's over it. So yeah, it should be non-contagious at this point. Stuck <clears throat> in your beard. I would hope not. <laughs> no, you don't, because you use the tool bar to wash <laughs> that right. grizzle. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, that sucks. Sorry about that. I yeah. think it's, it's that springtime. Everyone's uh, uh, super paranoid. The whole Rona thing is still lingering in the background because I'm... I'm fallen privy, you know, or uh, seconded to the tree sex that's happening. <laughs> so my allergies are just nuts, and I'm sneezing or whatever, and, the, and everybody runs away from me at the Home Depot. Right, because they're like, oh, he must be infected. I'm like, ah, oh, run away, <laughs> run away. Uh, which is usually a different, you know, reason they run away. Well, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. usually I have the Harambe variant. <laughs> Don't take your dick out. You thought this was going to be a normal Thursday, didn't you, folks? It is not. It is not. I have nothing of note for this week. Just lots of work. Well. That's it. Uh, with that, we do have a great show. Yeah. Uh, we have a guest. I saw the memo. We'll <laughs> we can bring him in. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is the host of the Cooper Vortex podcast, a podcast about the D.B. Cooper mystery. Um, I'll leave it at that, and I'll let him explain, uh, for those that don't know, uh, who D.B. Cooper is or was and uh, kind of the theories about what happened there. You don't have to sugarcoat it. You forgot to tell him that our audience has the IQ of a glass of water, so well, that, he also needs that. to explain that. But uh, we'll, we'll bring him in now. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Darren Schaefer. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, yeah. As soon as you uh, hit us up, I'm like, this seems like a cool <laughs> yeah. thing to talk about. Um, well, you guys have an interesting way guests book themselves. That's a that, wild yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it just reeks of effort hunting down guests. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did uh, what did Steve Jobs say? He said, I'd rather hire a lazy person because they'll find the, a faster, more efficient way to do something. I hired Trevor. Yes. <laughs> that, that is what he did. It's a good move. Mm-hmm. Good times. So, um, explain to us, we've got your podcast up on the on the screen, but explain to our fevered listeners who and what and how and why. November 24th, 1971. Uh, a middle-aged dude in a business suit walks into the Portland International Airport. He purchases a one-way ticket to Seattle. Uh, the cost of the ticket is $20. He pays in cash. The only identification you needed at that point in time was the gate agent asked him his name, and he said his name was Cooper, Dan Cooper. He's one of the last to board Northwest Orient Flight 305, sits in the back of the plane, uh, orders a bourbon and soda, and shortly before takeoff, he hands a stewardess a note. She hilariously assumes it's just another businessman hitting on her, so she <laughs> tucks the note away in her purse. He realizes this and grabs her a minute or two later and says, Excuse me, miss, you have a, you better have a look at that note. I have a bomb. Uh, he's hijacking the plane. 
He wants $200,000 and four parachutes ready for him before they hit the ground in Seattle. The airline agrees to his demands. They land in Seattle, and he gets his $200,000, his four parachutes. He lets the passengers off the plane. They never knew they were being hijacked. So from here, he has some specific demands. He not only tells them where to fly, he wants to go to Mexico City. He tells them how to fly the plane. He wants it to be flown at 10,000 feet, no faster than 200 miles an hour. The landing gear will remain down. The cabin will remain unpressurized. The wing flaps set to 15 degrees. And most importantly, he wants to take off with the aft stairs down. The pilots weren't even sure if the plane could fly with the aft stairs down. They call into the airport. No one at air traffic control has any idea. They call Boeing, and Boeing says, yes, actually, the plane can fly with the aft stairs down. We've tested it. So there is something interesting there. One question that he asks when he's booking his flight he wants to make sure that it's that model of Boeing aircraft. That's debated, is but I have heard yeah. that. Okay. I, I remember reading that and it's like, hmm. So this guy, apparently, if that's true, knew that that aircraft could indeed fly in that, in that configuration. You know what I mean? You, you know, <clears throat> what gets me. Ab- well, he knew it could be jumped. Yeah. 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 What gets me about this whole thing, the this most bizarre thing is the plane tickets for $20. With tax. <laughs> and and they just took your fucking word for it yeah. when you said, this is my name. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Yeah, it wasn't even Daniel Cooper. Just Dan. I'm Dan. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I've, 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 since we booked you, I've kind of, you know, read some things and, and I wanted to bring up that, that I, uh, I wanted to look smart. <laughs> bring up that you, detail. You look like a genius. <laughs> So yeah, he, he, uh, he, so he, he asked them to, to fly with the stairs down. Um, yeah. And then the pilots, uh, the pilots refused to take off with the stairs down. They said it was in their opinion, too dangerous to take off with the stairs down in a plane full of fuel. Cooper told them that he disagreed with their assessment, <laughs> but he would lower the stairs in flight. <laughs> so they they take off from Seattle approximately 745, 750 um, for Reno, Nevada, where they were going to refuel to get to Mexico City. They land in Reno approximately 10 p.m. The stairs are still down, and D.B. Cooper is not on board. So that that's the whole story of D.B. Cooper. He only exists for five hours. There is no story before the hijacking. There's no story after the hijacking. Now, did um, if I'm not mistaken, I also remember seeing something that some of the money did pop up at some point. Correct. In 1980, uh, Brian Ingram was eight years old and he was sort of picnicking on the beach of the Columbia River with his family at sort of this private beach area called Tina Bar. He brushes some sand aside with his arm, um, stumbles across some garbage, picks it up, realizes, oh my gosh, this isn't garbage, this is money. And it was between $5,800 and $6,000 from D.B. Cooper's ransom. They knew that because the 
the bank that gave them the money had all of the serial numbers of that 200,000 documented. So that that is the only evidence that's been found. And it's wildly outside the flight path, unless you want to get real in the weeds and debate the flight path. And, you know, the wind would have been blowing east, so he jumps out of the plane. He should have landed east of the flight path. So where the money is found, it hasn't helped answer any questions. It's only added questions to the mystery. No one can even explain how it got there. Well, the I suppose the only, <clears throat> the only thing that that could point to is that he didn't just die. You know what I mean? That he, I would like that he made it somewhere with the money. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> oh, yeah. I would like to think that as well. I would like to be of the opinion that the money being found there proves that he didn't die in the jump. But it just can't. There was a gentleman by the name of Tom Kay who got this paper published in Scientific Journal, I believe it was, where it was the first use case of diatoms as a piece of forensic evidence. And what they were able to determine with the money that was found, and this is recent, this is maybe two years ago, they determined that that money got wet in the Columbia River in the springtime, which is really weird because Cooper jumps out of the plane in November in the Pacific Northwest, and then the money is found in February of 1980, but it only has springtime diatoms on those bills. So the only time that money got wet was in the spring. But we don't know spring of what year. We just know it was only wet in the spring. And again, that doesn't answer any questions for us. It just adds more mystery to this. Yeah, I mean, all that that says is that it wasn't sitting in the river for 10 years. (laughs) Right, because there was this theory that the money got there by a dredge. Because a dredge did dump sand in that area to sort of uh, replenish that beach. Interesting. Now, here's the other thing I'm curious about. Everyone calls him D.B. Cooper, but the only name he ever used was Dan. Where did they come up with this idea that he would have initials? So when the passengers are let off the plane in Seattle, the first thing the FBI does is they're standing there waiting with the passenger log. And everyone gets off the plane except one name, Dan Cooper. So the FBI immediately, we got to find Dan Cooper. It's probably not his real name, but we got to check Dan Cooper's. And there was a convicted felon living in the Portland area who went by D.B. Cooper. And they went and knocked on his door right away, like that night. Hey, uh, are you home? Because if you are, you're probably not the hijacker. And somewhere in there, there was that miscommunication with the early press agents, and it went out as D.B. Cooper. And this is just my opinion, but I believe the FBI sort of encouraged that D.B. Cooper name, because when people would come in and say, oh, I know who it was, I know the story, I'm D.B. Cooper, they could sort of discount it right away because they don't even know the real name the hijacker gave. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's clever. Yeah. About the name Dan Cooper, I've got one really interesting thing for you guys. There is a comic book that predates the D.B. Cooper hijacking about a French-Canadian Royal Air Force pilot 
test pilot, daredevil, superhero guy, and his name is Dan Cooper. That comic book was never printed in English. A Franco-Belgian comic, uh, I've seen it in French and and, in Dutch and in Spanish, but I'm not sure if it was printed in Spanish before 1971. So potentially, he's a French-speaking fellow. <laughs> well, they said he had no discernible accent, and if you've ever talked to a French Canadian, they definitely you would not describe them as no accent. Yeah, they definitely have an accent. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> well, you know, if I was so going to rob a bank, you know, I'd be like, "Hey, put the money in the bag, there, lady." <laughs> not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you know? Come over for a hot dish later. <laughs> some punchkas, some progies, be fine. <clears throat> so I guess I guess the question is what is the prevailing theory on who he might be um and I guess what what ultimately happened when after he jumped out of that plane Uh well the theory for what happened when he jumped out of the plane would be depends on who your suspect is but the prevailing theory for who he is really there isn't one there are let's say 20 legitimate-ish suspects. And then I'm going to say there are 30 mediocre suspects and another 30 not good suspects. Hmm. The FBI claims to have investigated thousands of people. The FBI files are available if you want to read them. It's probably something like 800,000 pages. So it's a bit of a chore. But you can really see the FBI from the start of this investigation. They really had nowhere to go. They had no leads. Um, one of the passengers on the plane, he was a 22-year-old college kid flying back home from Oregon State. And he remembered this beautiful young stewardess sitting next to this old nerdy guy is his exact quote. And he wondered to himself, why is she paying so much attention to that loser? Why is she sitting next to him? Why is she lighting his cigarettes? I'm young and handsome. She should be over here talking to me. And so he's really the only one who got a good look at him outside of the stewardesses. Mm. And that's kind of interesting because he was he was drinking and smoking. And from what I understand, isn't the stewardess lit his cigarettes? It, well, isn't isn't that um one of blows my mind? Isn't one of kind of the. <clears throat> legit uh looked at suspects wasn't he a mormon and that was kind of part of his defense was well this guy was drinking and smoking and i would never do that i'm mormon and i i like to drink so <laughs> it's not uh the best example but yeah richard mccoy jr he was a suspect because he committed an eerily similar skyjacking about six seven months after after Dan Cooper did. And the MO was very similar. The uh, He improved on a few things. He gave more specific flight instructions. He hilariously brought his own parachute on board. <laughs> he was wearing a jumpsuit under his clothes. So when he asked for parachutes, the FBI this time thinking they're way smarter, um, they put tracking devices in those. So McCoy throws those out the back of the plane and they go searching for those two parachutes. 
they didn't realize he just brought his own on board. Wow. But he was arrested uh, not too long after. He sort of told some friends before this that he was thinking about doing something like this. He was caught. He got 500000 uh, Cooper only got 200000 um, but they found $499,970 in his closet. So he, he wasn't able to spend that much of it. His story gets even crazier because he breaks out of jail, gets caught again, gets sentenced to prison, breaks out of prison using a gun he had made out of dental paste I, and then painted it. I remember hearing this. Stole yeah. a garbage truck inside the prison with another prisoner and then used the garbage truck to ram through the gates then escapes to North Carolina somehow. I'm not sure how you can't catch a garbage truck, but he escapes to North Carolina, robs a bank, and then ends up uh, being shot walking through his front door by the FBI. Jeez. And the FBI agent who shot him said, when I shot Richard McCoy, I shot Dan Cooper. <laughs> but... Really, there, I don't believe Richard McCoy is even a suspect in the D.B. Cooper hijacking. The witnesses all placed him in his mid to late 40s. D.B. Cooper was calm, cool, and collected the whole time. McCoy was a shit show the whole time, brought attention to himself. And they placed D.B. Cooper's age mid to late 40s. At the time of the skyjacking, McCoy was 28 years old. Um, a 22-year-old stewardess might be off on 28-year-old man's age by a few years, uh, but not 20 years. Yeah, yeah, that's a little... McCoy yeah. also had ears that stuck way out, and it was the kind of thing where it's like the first thing you noticed. Like, if I was describing Trevor, I would say he had, he had this uh, salt and pepper beard, and he had these glasses on. Because those are like prominent features. That's what I see right away when I look at you across the room. McCoy had ears that stuck out big time. And you'd say, yeah, he, uh, he was balding a little bit and he had these big ears that stuck out and no one said that of Cooper, but here's my personal theory, my hot take on McCoy and Cooper. I'm curious if you can connect another suspect to McCoy. McCoy was a green beret decorated helicopter pilot in Vietnam there's another D.B. Cooper suspect by the name of Ted Braden who would have been in Mac V. Sog in Vietnam potentially around the same time. Does that mean, you know, they were hanging out at the clubhouse telling stories? I don't know, but I think it's more interesting that McCoy was coached by Cooper because I don't believe they're the same person at all. Interesting. Well... Was that because I don't know the uh, were all the uh, findings of the Cooper case out when McCoy did it? Like, could he have just read about it all and then, you know, tried to just copycat it? That's a good question. I believe the answer to that is mostly yes. Uh, DB Cooper was a very big story, and you really didn't need that much information because McCoy was himself a pilot and a recreational skydiver. He may have done some skydiving in the military as well. I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head, but um, 
just the details that you could hijack this plane. McCoy realizes now, if he didn't know from Vietnam, obviously you can jump from this aircraft. And he was a young, cocky guy who thought he could pull this off. And you know what? He did pull it off. I think if he would have kept his mouth shut, wouldn't have sort of like, you know, talked with friends before, you know, I'm not, if I'm planning on robbing a train, I'm not going to tell my buddies a few days before, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I might be able to pull this off. Um, so McCoy made a series of mistakes that Cooper obviously never did. The perfect crime of the century. Yeah. I think so. It's, it's been over 50 years. There are unsolved crimes where the dollar amount was higher, but they weren't as dramatic and fun. But I mean, they weren't doing it in a suit and tie drinking bourbon while a hot stewardess lit their (laughs) cigarettes. And there's like, the the other thing too, is like, um, he must've had a plan to like launder this money because if the only Mm -hmm. bills that showed up were the ones that that kid found, they dinged it right away. You know, I mean, you don't steal money to not spend it somehow, you know. That's a good point. I had a gentleman on my show by the name of Arthur Friedberg, and he knows a lot about U.S. paper currency. He wrote the book on it. It's called U.S. Paper Currency. (laughs) Uh, If you're a collector of money and currency or a historian on paper currency, you will identify bills by what's called their Friedberg number which is a system that his family created. Um, He's testified before Congress and he's just everything that you could think of involving money. This guy's done it. And I was lucky enough to have him on the show. And I asked him that question. Could Cooper have spent the money? Cause I assumed he could until I interviewed this gentleman and right away he's like, okay, so you have the $6,000 that's found. So you're going to have at least $9,020 bills entering circulation And we're looking for him. And he said the odds that not a single one of those bills would come up in a flagged transaction, in his opinion, was zero. He said there's just no chance that that money ever entered circulation in the U.S. or elsewhere. And then I sort of got into it with him like, well, what if he went to Barbados or the Congo and they were accepting U.S. currency? And he sort of explained to me how the currency comes back to the U.S. and sort of rained all over my parade that Cooper was on a beach drinking a Mai Tai. Yeah, there's really no way to... I mean, unless unless it's, unless it's the motive is just a fuck you to Which, whatever, the system or what, it, you know. All of my, all of my favorite <laughs> villains are... They don't care. They'd rather just watch it burn than... I mean, that, I suppose that's a possibility, but, you know. The stewardess, when uh, she was seated next to him, she asks him at one point... Do you have a grudge against the airline, sir? And he said, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's uh that's quite a statement. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah, and just I want to hammer home like he was calm, cool, and collected, but more than that, he was polite and kind. The stewardess immediately after the skyjacking when she's interviewed for the news, you know, like 45 minutes after this whole event is over for her, she has to sit in front of a camera. And she says, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but she said he was always polite, never unkind, 
And at one point on the ground in Seattle, he got annoyed, but he was never cruel to me. And he went so far as he knew somehow that that flight was dead ending in Seattle. So the crew was done for the day. And so when he hijacks the plane, that crew now has to work longer. He mentions that in his demands and requests meals for the flight crew be brought on board with his parachutes and money. Now, the hilarious end to the meals is when the plane lands in Reno, the FBI searches the plane with dogs immediately, and the dogs ate the food for the flight crew. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, if I've learned anything from watching those HGTV How to Kill Your Husband shows... You're dealing with a high-functioning sociopath. Like Sherlock Holmes, high-functioning, you know, albeit a fictional character, but you have to be. To you be. have to be. I mean, he he planned this out so well. He was able to remain calm during it. There are a half-dozen D.B. Cooper copycats And every single one of those was a giant mess. One dude ended up catching an axe to the back of the head. Um, (laughs) Another dude, hilariously, this stewardess was just fucking on point. And when he starts, I I believe he had a gun and he's going to shoot the plane up. He wants, it was, I believe it started at $300,000, but this stewardess on her toes slips a handful of Valiums in this guy's drink. And all of a sudden, now he is completely inebriated and his demands go from, I want 300,000 to, I want five cheeseburgers, a rental car and a 30 second head start. <laughs> and uh, they, they pull I want the car that my, to the plane. I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> I want five cheeseburgers, a rental car and a 30 second head start. That's good. And when he walks off the plane, like he can't even stand because he's so inebriated. And so they just grab him walking down from the stairs. And I I believe that was Glenn Tripp. I get some of my copycats mixed up, but. Well, yeah. And just. I believe it's Glenn Tripp, the cheeseburger guy. Just the self-control to have drinks without getting loaded. Yeah. When you're going to do something that crazy. I mean, <laughs> dude, I need a shot in a beer before we go on air. Like. <laughs> the the pilots were debating if he could survive the jump at the speed they were flying. So not only was there not like a huge recreational parachutist community like there is today, it was a very small thing, mostly with veterans. And so not many people were skydiving for fun at the time. No one knew this plane could fly with the stairs down. Yeah. And people thought that you would die jumping from it. So he had this knowledge set that that really no one else had. Well, and the other thing, too, was the parachutes were garbage back then compared to like now. Um, yeah. You, you're just, just you the, barely. I mean, they had like steering. But yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. He with the parachute he jumped with was non-steerable. Well, shit. but I've talked to a couple of smoke jumpers and 
and longtime parachutists who were jumping with military surplus gear back in the day. And they said with that particular canopy, you can't steer it. But when you get close to the ground, if you know what you're doing, you can grab a handful of strings and sort of use it to, you know, dodge an obstacle at the last minute. But you can't hit a bullseye. Wow. And the other, the I mean, the other thing too is like th- that bag of money is no joke either. It's like basically like the size of a duffel pounds. bag. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like jumping with like a small child or something <laughs> that you have to control, you know, and you want to both get down safely just like you would with a kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> when the plane leaves Seattle, um, he requested one stewardess to stay back with him in case he needed anything or to communicate with the pilots. Pilots never saw him. And so he's getting ready. He's lowered the rear stairs. He says to the flight attendant, all right, I want you to go back into the cockpit, lock the door. And as she turns around to lock the door of the cockpit, she turns around and she sees him putting the parachute harness on. And she comments, it appeared that he had done that many times before. And then what we know from what we found on the plane is one of the other parachutes, he ended up cutting it up and pulling a bunch of shroud lines out of it. So did he use that to tie the money bag to himself? Did he tie the money bag to a, a long rope and have it hang from his ankle? We're, we're not really sure. Yeah, wow. So many minutes, <laughs> such a mystery. That's It's all just, <clears throat> I don't know. The whole the whole scenario is bonkers to me from from the point of walking into an airport paying cash and just having them take your word that this is your name. Like that. Nope. (laughs) It was even crazier than that that on some, the, what they call you know the short commuter flights. Yeah. Uh, there were planes back then where you could skip the airport, walk directly onto the plane and then in the air pay for your ticket. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian, Joey Diaz. Yes. I okay. Am. He tells this great story. I don't remember if he paid for his ticket, but I know he was talking about back in the day before they had electronic credit card processing, you could pay for stuff with credit cards and they wouldn't charge it until afterwards because they would just, they'd take an imprint and like a day later they'd run the credit card. <laughs> So he used to steal credit cards and then I think he just bought drinks on his flight. I don't know if he bought his ticket, but he would get on a flight and he would pay for everything with this stolen credit card. (laughs) And there was nothing like no, no one was the wiser. They didn't even look at your ID back then when you go, Oh, Uh I got, I got, you know, I got American express. Oh, okay. Well, chick chick (laughs) here's your receipt (laughs) yeah if you watch christmas vacation now and you watch them racking up when they go christmas shopping at the mall and they're they're rack tacking those yeah i worked at jc penny when i was 18 and the i was there probably like 18 months but for the first few months I was there, they were still using that carbon paper credit card system. Wow. And they were just getting ready to change over. And that was like 2003. Dude, <laughs> Maker Music just barely did that. Just changed over from... Yeah. Yeah, those sure. guys. Yeah. 
They're kind of a ramshackle family-run music store here in Springs. I worked for them in college 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah, that was... They were behind the times. You still had to type up the uh, rental agreements on the carbon paper stuff and on an old hammer action typewriter. It was great. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Stuck in the 60s. <clears throat> What's up, Keys? You missed uh, the whole story about D.B. Cooper. Um, yeah, Doug's chiming in saying the, the only verification was the credit check via the phone. Yeah, Doug, and I think that's why he liked to use them on flights because they could they not make a phone call. call. <laughs> <laughs> so they just had to take your word for it. And uh, At 30,000 feet too, in the 1980s, you couldn't you know reach out and touch someone. Too bad for the guy that uh, gets his statement and – finds that he's bought drinks on a flight yeah <laughs> he wasn't even on what <laughs> what that's bizarre <laughs> oh man well that's a hell of a story um and you're still researching this and getting it mulled over and got your own hot takes on it i don't really research the case i sort of fell into this a bunch of things happened at the same time so i was given this book, Skyjack, by Jeffrey Gray, by my wife, because we used to live in Woodland, Washington, basically where D.B. Cooper would have jumped out of the plane. And it was a local story. I used to go to this bar that had D.B. Cooper days at it. And so I got this book as a gift. It sat on my bookshelf for maybe a year. And uh, I was traveling. I grabbed a book off the shelf. It was Skyjack. Started reading that book. And I was like, wow, there's so much more to this case than I thought. It's such a cooler story. Uh, and that led me to this next book and the book after that. And then at the same time, I started this gig where I work completely alone. So I listen to 40 to 60 hours a week of podcasts and talk radio. And I searched Apple Podcasts, D.B. Cooper. I'm, I'm falling down this rabbit hole and I need more. And there was like 40 different shows that had done one episode on D.B. Cooper. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to start burning through these things. And they were all exactly the same. It was two or three hosts would spend 20 minutes explaining the skyjacking. Then they would spend 10 minutes discussing three to five suspects. And then they would agree on who they thought it was most likely to be D.B. Cooper. And then the show was over. And I, I had read all these books by then. So I was like so much more knowledgeable than the hosts of these shows about it. And I'm like walking around some field, taking pictures of a cell tower, screaming like, that's wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I started just fast forwarding through their explanation of the skyjacking just to hear random people's opinions on DB Cooper suspects. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to hear long form interviews with the authors of these books, with people who are arguing on the the two different DB Cooper forums all day long. I want to hear what they have to say. So I decided that I would uh, I would make an effort to create that show. So I reached out to five different people in Washington State and said, "Hey, will you be on my show that doesn't exist yet?" And I told myself, if I get two of these five people to agree, I'll create this podcast. Anything less, I'm not doing it. 
and all five people agreed to be on the show. So I uh, loaded up my car, bought some podcasting gear, and drove and did a bunch of interviews in Washington State. And uh, I'm still doing it four years later. Well, and it, it like, <clears throat> this is one of those subjects where on the surface it goes, well, how many episodes can you do? But really, I thought I could do 20. It's, it's I endless. There's no more than 20. <laughs> and how long could you talk about this? And I've got, I don't know, 63, 64 episodes now. Um, hundreds of hours. I have an episode that's five and a half hours. I have a couple that are over three hours. So I have done, I've done a lot of talking about DB Cooper. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I'm, I suppose it's something that will be talked about until, well, until I guess the FBI says, uh, Oh, we have a DNA sample and it matches up with this guy. And now we know exactly who it is. And even then there will be people that will go, Nope. The FBI's full of shit. They're lying just to clear the case. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, interestingly, in 2016, the FBI formally closed their investigation into D.B. Cooper. They said, we've spent 45 years on this. It's gone nowhere. Um, so we are not going to dedicate any more resources to this. If you find a parachute or a $20 bill... Give us a call. Outside of that, we are not investigating this any longer. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, at some point, they got to stop throwing money and resources at something like this. Sure. <laughs> there was also, you know, I told you Tina Mucklow, the stewardess, was lighting his cigarettes. He left his cigarette butts on the plane. So there were eight cigarette butts. He smoked eight cigarettes in five hours. It's 1971. So that's normal. (laughs) (laughs) And they collected his cigarette butts from the ashtray of the row he was sitting in. And you can read the FBI documents now. There's a document where the Reno office sends them to the Seattle office. Here are these cigarette butts. Examine them for evidence. Once you are done, you may throw them away. And they're gone. Well, they're. There is one shred that came from the cigarette butts. He was smoking Raleigh brand, which you can only get in the South. You could you could get them other places as well. But it, it, it was what was known as like a coupon cigarette and a soft pack cigarette. It was the poor man's my, choice. My understanding, though, was they weren't wildly available, like especially on the West Coast. I think I recall that. I don't know. I think you're full of shit. I went down I went down a big DB Cooper rabbit hole myself. <laughs> and I remember someone bringing that up. Raleigh cigarettes, they're only they're only available in the south and I'm like, "Hmm." But, you know, of course, when you start getting into something like this, you also have people that just talk out their ass and you know, who's going to call them on it? <laughs> yeah, and it also could be something like they were popular in the south, but they weren't popular in the yeah. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. But you could still get them. Well, I don't know, man. The whole, I mean, the whole story is just like, it's one of those stories that you hear about or read about and you're like, what the fuck? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I mean, some of the stuff we've talked about, you know, if, 
If he spent this money, he had to launder it, right? Had to somehow. Uh, but even if you launder the bills, <clears throat> you get the two hundred thousand. They're gonna pop up somewhere other than just this little smidgen that this kid found. You know what I mean? Like if they got right. spent one in of those anyway. bills will end up in your wallet. You're gonna go buy uh, a used Camry with cash. <laughs> Once that person takes the $8,700 to their bank account, that ends up being a flagged transaction. So all they have to do, if there's nothing real suspicious about it, is just check those serial numbers. And there were, I thought nobody was really looking for these serial numbers, but once I talked to Arthur Freeberg, he pointed out there was some very specific things in the serial numbers of those bills where if you were a savvy bank teller, which if you're looking at these numbers all the time, you would be. It was 1969 Series A, especially Star Bills. They, Seafirst Bank in Seattle had $250,000 set aside for such an emergency where all the bills were already, the serial numbers documented, and they were on what was called microfilm which was some sort of high-tech thing yeah. in 71. <laughs> and I find that interesting also because how many how many cities had a bank that had ransom money set aside waiting for such an occasion? Did Cooper know there was 250 there and that's why his request was inside that? I have no idea. Yeah. But it is well, and, and stuff like that brings you into like I was listening to I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the history homos podcast. They did an episode on DB Cooper. Um, was I on it? No. Um, Are you sure? I'm I'm positive. It was the the guest I'm pretty sure was um, Pat Dixon, who hosts another show called Crime Report. Um, and <laughs> they uh, one of their things they're 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 very um conspiracy theory-ish. So one of the rabbit holes they were going down was the possibility that the FBI was actually involved and or behind the whole thing, Um, which then is like, well, what's their motivation to get 200 grand? I mean, the government can just print money. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, what's their end goal? Well, you know, it went from like, maybe they wanted to get more involved in um, airline and airport security. Something like this, there I guess, is, would do that. that. <clears throat> there is that theory. Um, there were other skyjackings going on at the time. A lot of them. Uh, mostly fly me to Cuba. This is a doing, I'm doing some sort of political stunt. Right. Uh, so the FBI didn't need to create yeah, a skyjack. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like, you know, the FBI has to create people speeding so we can lower the speed limit. <laughs> no, there's already people speeding. You don't need to do that. So there's really no reason to do that. The one sort of angle along those same lines that I'll listen to, though, is there was a gentleman by the name of Najib Halaby who was meeting with Richard Nixon the morning of the skyjacking, D.B. Cooper's skyjacking, to discuss airline and airport security. And he ended up going on a worldwide campaign sort of to sell metal detectors and this airport security program. Uh, Another interesting thing about Najib Halabi is if you 
punch that name into your Google and go to his Wikipedia, you'll see the picture on his Wikipedia is a goddamn dead ringer for D.B. Cooper. <laughs> um, there is there is no possible way that he could have gotten to Portland uh, after after his meeting with Nixon. It, it's a theory it's a I've heard a, a couple a of people talk about. I don't really believe it much. The other sort of government inside job one that I like is E. Howard Hunt, one of Nixon's plumbers. Um, you'll recognize a picture of him at the Watergate hearing. He's wearing sunglasses. Cooper famously put sunglasses on as soon as he hijacks the plane. He boards with no sunglasses, and then after he passes the note, he puts them on. I had a gentleman on my show who goes by the pen name Nat LaFolk, who wrote a book theorizing that E. Howard Hunt was actually D.B. Cooper. He had the ability to plan something like this. He had the ability to pull something like this off. And he may or may not have had the ability to have it covered up. He also perfectly fits the description of the Skyjacker. He's the right age. There's a lot going for that. Yeah. Well, And if you want to get into conspiracy theory, that's the best one. And I mean, you know, is as as uh, Nixon's plumber, uh, <laughs> is he is he um, is is the supposition kind of that he was a spook and was um, involved in like wiring things up in the White House? Uh, you know, does he have that type of background conceivably? Yes. Okay. Yes, he does. Yeah, so he did that. Yeah. <clears throat> there you there you go. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> okay, but if I'm going to tell you one more suspect, the the best suspect, in my opinion, if I could just choose who who D.B. Cooper was, not who the best evidence is, I get to pick which one of the suspects is correct. I'm picking Barbara Dayton. <laughs> so Barbara Dayton was born Robert Dayton and was the first person in Washington state to get gender reassignment surgery in 1969, two years before the skyjacking. She then ends up working a, a, as a librarian in the Seattle public library. And she's unhappy with her life, the way it's going. It's not what it was supposed to be. So she wants to prove to herself that she's still like this badass dude who got shit done and was a merchant marine and a prisoner of war and just a badass. And so she decides she's going to dress back up like a man, commit this skyjacking. She then throws the money in a culvert because it was never about the money in the first place and goes back to living her life as a librarian in Seattle. She ends up telling this story to uh, Ron and Pat Foreman years later when they develop a friendship at a small airport and she confesses to them that she was db cooper and db cooper was never caught because they were looking for a man i mean well, great book i highly recommend hmm. it. it's called the legend of db cooper death by natural causes by ron and pat foreman great book wow yeah that's i mean man and is there a more portland story <laughs> Then D.B. Cooper is a transgender one. Nope. Nailed it. Exactly. 
it. <laughs> well, uh, I yeah. think that's as good a spot that's as any spot. to call yep. it. We're gonna call it. <laughs> so, Darren, thank you so much. Uh, real quick, just let the people know where they can find your show and find uh, you know your social media and all that. The Cooper Vortex, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you want to hear about D.B. Cooper, I've covered it all. I've covered ridiculous suspects. I've covered serious ones. I've investigated the money. I've investigated diatoms. I've had a Navy SEAL on, PJ, Smoke Jumper. Um, whatever opinion, whatever take you want to hear on Cooper, we've had it on that show. I have a new podcast as well. The Book of Darren, it's... Me doing interviews without a crazy niche suspect, a crazy niche subject of a 50-year-old skyjacking. So, the Cooper Vortex, the Book of Darren, it's all free wherever you get your podcast. Check it out. All right, man. Uh, We really appreciate this, uh, having you on. And, um, man, what a fascinating, like, uh, yeah, you're you're never going to run out of... uh, Ever episodes, you, no. you'll be able to do this forever if you want. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, thanks for coming on and talking to us for a little bit about it. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Anytime, unless I'm, uh, or I could just book myself every episode. Sure, right? yeah, pretty much. absolutely. As long as it's open, go for it. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll drive down there and we'll do it in person. Okay, I, I love doing this. <clears throat> yeah, we would be happy to have you. Um, so. Yeah, everybody, be sure to check out uh, the Cooper Vortex wherever you find podcasts and the Book of Darren uh, <clears throat> if you don't want to go down the crazy I mean, <laughs> skyjacking rabbit hole. Might as well. So, uh, thanks for hanging out, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Alrighty. There it is. All the buttons. Well, that was... Uh... That was probably one of the coolest things I've uh, messed That's with. That's rad. That's rad. On the um, internet. I'm going to have to go more down that rabbit hole. Crazy. <laughs> Fucking D.B. Cooper. Crazy. Um, uh, let's do the mid-roll here, shall yeah, we? Yeah, we'll do that. And uh, do you want to tag up some history and then get out of here? I think so. I think so, too. So, uh, yeah. Well, um pay some bills real quick over here my brakes made an awful noise and the last time i got them done it was so expensive you should go to exo auto works they did a great job on mine and it was way cheaper than anywhere else i've been that sounds great i need to get their number from you at exo auto works we offer the best price on brake service in town we include brand new brake pads rotors and hardware which saves you money and gets you on the road faster See our website for a full list of our services. Call EXO Auto Works today. Stop destroying your beard. Let me explain. A little while back, I thought I was properly taking care of my beard. Turns out, I was destroying it. Dry, brittle, hair falling out. My girlfriend hated it. He was worse than a dog without the cute puppy breath. So then, she ordered the beard struggle. Game changer natural ingredients awesome packaging and it smells phenomenal you smell sexy thank you oils balms they have beard growth accelerators in addition to the new carbon x three-in-one heated beard brush straightener and volumizer along with 
washes, and conditioners. Stop destroying your beard. Order the Beard Struggle. I have something you can destroy. Order online now at thebeardstruggle.com. Use the code TLANE15 for 15% off your order. What's up, everybody? We're going to do a little his uh, story. So this week in his story, uh, helps if I have the right shot up. There we go. You had a lot to do. Um, April 14th, 1981, America's first space shuttle, the Columbia, returned to Earth. Uh, and, you know, everybody was happy to be back, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> um, April 15th, 1865, uh, Abraham Lincoln finally succumbs after about 24-ish hours to uh, the injuries he sustained when John Wilkes Booth shot him. And is pronounced deceased if you don't know the story of john wilkes booth and his older brother and the whole story of them being actors at that theater and that whole brotherly squabble we should definitely go over that and i'm yeah one of these we can start a wilkes podcast yeah Uh, (laughs) i'm gonna do 20 of them that's it (laughs) 16 uh 1705 queen anne uh knight's Sir, I well before that, I guess he wasn't Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> He's just Mister. <laughs> he was just Isaac, regular Isaac regular Newton. Regular <laughs> old Isaac Newton. Um, April seventeenth. Uh, where am I? There we go. Nineteen sixty-one. Uh, approximately fourteen hundred Cuban exiles attack the Bay of Pigs in an attempt to a U.S.-backed attempt to overthrow Fidel Castro. It did not work out. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see april 18th 1942 james doolittle bombs tokyo and other japanese cities in what would be our first uh real retaliation as far as pearl harbor uh and world war ii um we finally struck the uh the homeland there for the japanese uh after our nose was bloody and man a logistical like feet beyond belief to get those heavy army bombers to take off from a carrier yeah. <laughs> was just a nightmare. Uh, <clears throat> um, let's see. April 19th, 1775. <clears throat> the American revolution officially begins as fighting breaks out at Lexington, Massachusetts. Uh, this is, you know, the whole, the British are coming. <laughs> Well, here they are. Here they are. <laughs> um, finally, April 20th, 1962, uh, New Orleans begins uh, through their Citizens Committee. They give free one-way bus rides to blacks in what are known as reverse freedom rides. Uh, basically sends them to, um, I guess, the nearest desegregated northern city and kind of a... Uh, 
Well, if you don't like it down here, move. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you talk to people in other countries Ooh. about the 60s, and they're like, oh, yeah, we had the Beatles, we had music, we had all this really cool stuff going on. Like, yeah, well, we had this happening. And they're like, why? Yeah. You guys are stupid. Why was that even a problem? Like, it's it's just bizarre. Yep. Um, and uh, anyways, that, that brings us to the end of the week in history and the end of our show. On our sad walking away music, we'd like to thank our sponsors, EXO Auto Works, Enharmonic Studios, Madrid Maintenance, Craftsboy Caroline, and The Beard Struggle. Thank you for watching and or listening. Please check us out on the web at mantoolsmedia.com. On our social links, uh, links.co slash mantoolsmedia. Once again, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review. Uh, rate this podcast.com slash mantools. And uh, we'd like to thank, once again, Darren Schaefer from the Cooper Vortex podcast. That was a lot of fun. Uh, coming up April 30th at 8 p.m. Check out Eric playing with Facing Forward at Marie Street Darts if you're in the Colorado Springs area. And next week, we will be working on our Ukraine deep dive for our members only uh, over on Locals. You can sign up for that for just $3 right. a month. Just remember, we'll be talking a lot about Mila Kunis. Well, you know, we will have a <laughs> test booster that is Ukraine related. So... Uh, be prepared to lose another YouTube channel.com. Well, it's not on YouTube anymore, eh? Hey? Ah. Excellent. Thanks for watching, guys. And uh, good night, everybody. Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying.